Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning on this Christmas Sunday, our last Sunday of Advent, our last Sunday prior to the birth of our Savior. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee, and it is my joy to welcome you. Whether in person or on the live stream, we're thrilled you have chosen to worship with us this morning. If you're visiting here in person with us, we hope you got a, uh, I'll call it the bag of swag this morning, goodies that lets you know a little bit of who we are and allows you to enjoy some free gifts as well. And I would like to invite everybody, on the end of your row should be a friendship pad. And so if you're sitting on the end of the row, we've given you extra responsibility this morning. It is up to you to get it started. Sign it, sign it down, and bring it down to uh, your friends sitting next to you, and we'll go from there. A few different announcements before we enter into worship this morning. I hope, and I'm, and I'm pleading, at least a quorum. We need at least a quorum. Jim, I'm not sure. What's that, like 40 people? We need at least 40 people or so to stay afterwards for a called congregational meeting. I promise you, you won't be late for lunch. This should be a very short meeting. But it's immediately following the worship service. We'll give the benediction. We'll, you know, give probably about five minutes, and then we'll get started. And the purpose of the meeting, it's written here in your announcement page, is to consider a pro proposal from the Georgia Department of Transportation to purchase a small parcel of land needed, needed to widen Route 44. The Board of Trustees has met together. They've considered the proposal. They find it to be a fair offer and they're placing a motion before the membership for approval. So that's immediately following this service. This coming Friday at 5 p.m. is our annual Christmas Eve service. It will be this year a service of lessons and carols, and then we will close by having the candle lighting singing of Silent Night, so we're real excited about it. We hope you invite your family and friends and are able to make it out this Friday at 5 p.m. And then let's talk a little bit about 2022. We're calling this New Beginnings, and that's because I don't like the, the reference to return to normal. What is normal? Are we going back to the Garden of Eden? I don't think we've had normal theologically till the, since the Garden of Eden. So, but what we're looking is we're looking ahead. We're looking at new beginnings, a vision for the future. And so you'll hear more about this. Right now, this is like, you know, when you get an invitation to a wedding, you get save the date. Here's your save the dates. Okay, January 16th. We're restarting Sunday school. You'll hear more about the offerings and different stuff, but Sunday school at 9.15 restarts. During the 10.30 service, we will be installing a new women's council. So that will be happening on the 16th. On the 23rd, we will have a congregational meeting following the service for the election of officers, new elders and deacons. And then their installation will be the following Sunday, the 30th of January. So a lot's going on. I also want to call your attention back in the narthex. Help yourself between now and the end of the year, something I'm calling community Bible reading. Maybe I have lofty goals. I don't know. I would love for us as a church to read the Bible together. How fun would it be if during home fellowship groups and Bible studies and on Sunday morning and different things like that, we could be talking about the scriptures with one another and what we've been reading together. So I know many of us have different Bible There's a zillion of them out there. So I just chose one, 
and it would be great. And I will be probably putting out a weekly devotion and a weekly video on one of the scriptures that we're looking at. And so I want to encourage you, especially if you're traveling, I don't know who will be around and who won't be around, but help yourself grab one of those Bible reading plans for the new year. So those are just some of the things going on in the life of the church. As I mentioned earlier, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we are thrilled to have Doug and Jean Hesse light the Advent candle and do the reading this morning. Our scripture this morning is from Luke 1, 46 to 55, Mary's Song of Praise. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Our Father, may we like Mary Magnify the Lord and rejoice in God our Savior. Thank you for your mercy, which is from generation to generation. May we, your servants, in humility, continue to bear witness to your mercy and love to all those around us. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you. 
Luke chapter 2, we have the record of the shepherds coming together, and the text tells us that they would be giving, given a sign. And the sign would be that they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, which is truthfully more like a feeding trough. And our call to worship this morning is the response with the angel and the heavenly host. In Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we read, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Father, glory to you, praise and majesty to you, Words almost escape us to think of the fact that you would send your son into this world, the word become flesh, to make his dwelling amongst us. May we join with the multitude of the heavenly host singing praise and glory to your most holy name this morning. We invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to join with us as we praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Let us stand together and sing our opening hymn of praise, Angels from the Realms of Glory.
I've mentioned before that when we read the Bible, actually in so much of our Christian life, and especially Advent, it is appropriate to look at the end of the story. And for the biblical story, the end of the story is glorious. What a hope that we have. And this is what we are looking forward to in Advent. The consummation of Christ's kingdom when God will be all in all, the fullness of all things, and for God's reign and glory to be completed in the new heavens and new earth. Isaiah prophesied about that. And this morning our scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. And let us stand and continue to sing.
go now to our Lord and Savior in a time of prayer. We will begin by praying together the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May our hearts be filled with praise, O most heavenly Father, for your glory and majesty. To think as we approach this week that we are acknowledging and recognizing and celebrating the most history-altering and category-shattering event to ever occur, that of your sending your Son, because you so loved the world, into this world that he himself created and that turned away in rebellion. But you sent to redeem, you sent to save, you sent to renew. And to think of how you did that, by the word becoming flesh, and actually dwelling in the mess, becoming a part of it, immersing himself with it so that he could be our co-sufferer. Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we praise you for the Holy Spirit opening our hearts, making this good news known to us. And we pray this week for the churches of this area that will be celebrating and worshiping. We pray that for any who don't know you, that you will draw many through your church to yourself, Lord Jesus. That this would be a time that they would consider the claims of salvation. And instead of trying to save themselves, would look to Jesus to be their deliverer and their savior and their friend and their rescuer. Father, we are also very aware that for so many, the Christmas season can be a time of hurt, of grieving, of loneliness, of affliction. And so, Lord, we ask that you would comfort those in all of their troubles, that you would come alongside them as a co-sufferer, loving them. We pray, Father, for the lonely and the hurting. We ask, Father, that the church would be a friend to the hurting, that we'd be a welcome place, a hospitable place. Father, thank you for Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. Thank you for the ministries that you call us to. Lord, may we continue to be centered on the gospel, proclaiming and preaching your word. And Father, that our eyes, I, I think of Mary, how often in Luke's account, as she pondered and treasured these things in her heart. Lord, I pray that we would be a more contemplative people, pondering these glories in our heart. Renew us this season as we walk with you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>
take a moment just to thank Mary and Jewel for their leading us and their participation in worship this morning. First of all, yeah, absolutely. First of all, anything that draws me to the beauty of God, I'm going to just absolutely fall in love with. And so to hear the music so you gotta, you got to realize I'm in this dual role. I'm both proclaiming the word to you and I'm worshiping alongside with you. So you have to give me a moment to worship because I'm a co-worshipper with you. And so I was enthralled by the music, absolutely enthralled. We don't know how blessed we are, I think, sometimes here at Lake Oconee 
between Amy and what she does and the choir and how, what a joy, what a blessing. And I pray, I pray that we would all be enthralled and drawn to the beauty of God. The world needs beauty today. The world craves beauty and we look for it in so many of the wrong places. May everybody in this area come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his beauty. Let's pray together as we open the word of God this morning and hear from his word. Father, we praise you for your presence here amongst us this morning. And we pray that there would not be a person here that does not come to know Jesus. That, Father, instead of our self-efforts to try to save ourselves, we would see that you sent Jesus into the world to be our Savior, to rescue us, to be our God. So, Lord, we fall at your knees. We look to you for salvation, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And as we open your word this morning, may we hear from you. May your spirit be our teacher in Jesus' name. Amen. The text upon which our teaching is based this morning, we're continuing our, our study, Hope According to Isaiah, as we're working our way through the Advent season, leading up to Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, the Sunday, everything that we're doing this week. We are looking at Isaiah chapter 62, and I will read verses 1 through 12. So friends, hear the word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 62 begins, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him, and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. One of my favorite writers is a 
20th century preacher by the name of David Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he wrote a classic book called Spiritual Depression. And in it, he writes this. He says, he's speaking about the amazing power and the amazing witness, kind of the magnetism, if you would, of a joyful church. And he writes, as we face the modern world with all its trouble and turmoil and with all its difficulties and sadness, nothing is more important than that we who call ourselves Christian and who claim the name of Christ should be representing our faith in such a way before others as to give them the impression that here is the solution, here is the answer. In a world where everything has gone so sadly astray, we should be standing out as men and women apart, people characterized by a fundamental joy and certainty in spite of conditions, in spite of adversity. Now, we need to recognize when he speaks of joy, he's not speaking of just kind of some warm, fuzzy, cheesy happiness that overlooks the realities and even the darkness of life. When he uses the word joy, the biblical word joy means fullness of life. That means the fullness of the heights of what it means to follow Jesus, as well as the depths of the reality of the pain and the turmoil of a fallen world. Joy is the fullness of life in, its, in all its dimensions. And so what Lloyd-Jones is speaking about here is something that the Christian cultural observer Oz Guinness calls the plausibility of truth. That is, we may know something is true, but to convince the world of its truth and truthfulness, we need to demonstrate the truth by giving its plausibility. The church is the place where truth is on display. In a way, we talk about the incarnation of Jesus, capital I. So this is small I. We're not replicating what Jesus did. Don't get me wrong. But we are incarnating truth, small I, embodying it, showing the world the flesh of truth, truth in its flesh, its manifestation by how we live. The British missionary Leslie Newbigin called the church the hermeneutic of the gospel. And Ray Ortland, in his magisterial commentary on the book of Isaiah, says that one of the marks of the early Christians, going back to the early church, was their joy in God as they lived in a hard world. There was no denial of the trauma that they face. Ortland cites one archaeologist who says the apartment buildings of ancient Rome were so shoddily built that the city was constantly filled with the noise of buildings collapsing or being torn down to prevent it. And the tenants of an apartment lived in constant expectation of its coming down on their heads. Ortland makes the point that this was the context, this was the setting in which the early Roman Christians lived and raised their families. Life was hard. Life was messy. No medical care or technology as we know it. No refrigeration, no air conditioning. But as Ortland says, the early Christians living in that world stood out because God gave them a gift from beyond that world. Overflowing acceptance through the cross. God's presence in their hearts and lives. Practical wisdom for daily life and endless enjoyment of him for all eternity. And that gave them fullness. They did not have to seek fullness in a sporting event, in their family, 
in being in control, in life working out a certain way. They had fullness in God, in his acceptance, in his presence, in his love. And that gave them joy. The promise for them, for us, the reality of glory. The glory of salvation. Listen to how Peter put it in his first letter. Peter writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Now listen carefully to this next line. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think I heard, read, found somewhere a quote from Charles Spurgeon who quoting on this particular verse said that sometimes the happiness became so much for him he had to ask God to turn it off. When was the last time you prayed? I can't take it, God! I'm too happy! The joy is too much, it's inexpressible. Turn it off, turn it down. Yeah. I think I put in your notes for today, what kind of religion was he? And yet this is the glory of salvation. And I would rather have the New York Yankees win? Are you kidding me? Do you think maybe, are you seeing, I know I'm being a little facetious here. But are you seeing maybe that we have a need to say with Mary, Jesus' mother, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior? Evie was working around the house this week and she was doing some, some work, getting things ready for Christmas, having fun doing all that. And she had Christmas music, worship music playing in the background. And I came home from work and she told me that one of the songs played, she doesn't, I don't remember which one and stuff, had a line in it that says, God, you created grace because of me. You know, I think if we thought that a little bit more, I think we have to be honest sometimes. I think we really do think of ourselves as good people. Man, we have flaws. We blow it. I think that's why we like, you know, we, we accept verses for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, we kind of do, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying hard. I'm, I'm really not a bad guy. I'm okay. And I fall short from time to time. I really don't think we understand the magnitude of our need of grace. As it was said, when God was revealing his truth to Noah back in Genesis chapter 6, and every thought and intention of their hearts was only evil all the time. And that was not just true in Noah's age. God created grace for us and gave us the reality the promise of glory. What do we learn here about the promise of glory? Let's look at it from two perspectives. The purpose of glory and the power of glory. Isaiah 62 is picking up the theme of Isaiah 61 that we looked at last week. Isaiah 61 was all about seize the jubilee. Seize Jesus' manifesto. And it continues here in verse 1 with God's intent for his people. Recognize when things like Zion and Jerusalem are spoken about. That's the city of God, the mountain of God, that is continuous with the church today. We are the heavenly Jerusalem. We are God's 
people. We are God's, we possess God's city. So listen to verse 1. This is God's intent for his people. He says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to get up and I'm going to speak. And I am committed. This is the determination of the servant who is committed, who is passionate, and who will not stop until something happens. And what is it? Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. Look at God's determination. I will not rest. I will not sit down. No ESPN for me today. I'm not watching Sunday football. I'm not being quiet. I'm not being silent until my people, the church, their righteousness goes forth before the nations and they are, here's the purpose of glory, they will be a witness to the nations. They will make known God's glory. See, we look at that. See, here's God's intention for his glory to be made known, not to be a private thing, not to be kept to ourselves. It's interesting to note the putting together of these twin concepts of righteousness and salvation. See, commentators note that this is significant in at least two ways. First, that righteousness is only possible. Our righteousness can only shine forth because of God's saving activity, because God has given us his righteousness. It's not something Israel or us could ever produce. But second, and equally important, is that this righteousness given to us as a gift that's our position, our status. You can't lose it. We're declared righteous, but it's meant to be seen. It's meant to be on display. Of how the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, when he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is, Paul is saying, I want you to picture God is there and you've got all of the rulers and authorities. And God is saying, look at my people. Their righteousness is shining forth. My, now, think about this. The manifold wisdom of God. Would we agree God's pretty smart? Smart, smart God? The manifold wisdom of God. Where will it be seen? Where will it have flesh? in and through the church. God is saying, look at them. That's the display of my glory. See, as I mentioned earlier, it is made plausible, not made true. It is true. Whether we live it or not, it's true. But it's made believable. That's why I think one of the things we should be praying every time we come to worship is, Lord, may your truth be made beautiful and believable in the lives of your people. That's what Isaiah 62 is talking about. I will not rest. I will not keep silent. I will not sit down until your truth is made beautiful and believable. In other words, how we live is important. Certainly not as a way to earn or gain or even maintain righteousness, but as a way to make that righteousness known to bear witness to the world as to the reality of God 
to demonstrate and make plausible to the world that God, through Jesus, is actually in charge. Good pastor friend of mine, while he was in seminary in Texas, his wife worked for the chief of police. And in Texas, there was a man, he got to know a man, his name was Richard Houston, who was a police officer in Texas. And he was recently shot and killed in the line of duty. His 18-year-old daughter, Shelby, gave the eulogy, paid tribute to her dad in a very moving way. You could find it on YouTube, you could look it up, but I promise you have a box of Kleenex next to you as you listen to this young woman's testimony of her dad's faith and the impact that he made on her. For me, the most significant part of this is she spoke about wanting to spend time with the man who shot her dad. And she says in this eulogy, she says, not to yell at him, not to scream at him, not to scold him, but to tell him about Jesus. That demonstrates to the world that Jesus is real. That is righteousness going forth as brightness. This is at least some of what it means when we read in the New Testament that Christians have been raised with Christ, that we participate now in the future age, that we have been raised with Christ, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. That in a real sense today, we are already experiencing and living resurrection before a watching world. And what is the point of Christ's resurrection that we share in now, presently? Biblical scholar N.T. Wright put it this way. He says, what we witness in the resurrection is the birth of a new creation. The power that has tyrannized the old creation has been broken, defeated, overthrown. God's kingdom is now launched and launched in power and glory on earth as in heaven. And the thing about the new creation is that it simply overflows with the power of love. New creation has begun, and its motivating power is love. Nations see our righteousness and glory when they see and feel our love, when they are confronted with the reality and power of love. That's the purpose of glory. You don't want me to dismiss you yet, right? not time to go into the congregation. Can you imagine if I stopped there and said, Let's, it'd be a good motivational speech, not a sermon yet. Where in the world do we get the power for this? And remember, the power and purpose go together. Look with me at the end of verse 2 through verse 5, where it says, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. We stop there just real quick. What is the power of glory? In a word, your new name. Your name is your identity. Your name is who you really are. See, we need to think application-wise. What do we call ourselves? What are the voices inside your head that you typically call yourself? Walking around. Do you call yourself failure? or not good enough, or inadequate. Do, what do you call it? Because 
Listen to what the Lord calls you. Listen to what the Lord calls us together. He says, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. Do you feel like a crown of beauty? Whether you feel like it or not, that's what the Lord calls you. That's who you are. And a royal diadem in the hand of your God, you shall no more be termed forsaken. Your name is not abandoned. Your name is not forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Listen, friends, to the... This is where the power can be released to live out our purpose when we live into and out of our new name. First, you'll be called a crown of beauty in the Lord's hand. Then you're called a royal diadem in the hand of your God. There was an inscription concerning the God of Babylon in the ancient world, which referred to a certain city as your tiara. Here, Jerusalem, God's city, the church, Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, are his delight. We are his tiara. That is who you are. Do you recognize your worth, your value to God? Then in verse 4, you will no longer be called by your old names. No longer will you be called deserted. Deserted refers to being rejected. Your land is no longer named desolate. Desolate means uninhabited, useless. See, Isaiah is bringing together strands and themes, images we've seen earlier of God's people being barren, unable to bear fruit. You are no longer barren. You are now useful. You are now fruitful. And you're fruitful not only for what you do, but simply for who you are. One of the causes of shame is shame over who we are. The power of glory is that you no longer are defined by who you were. Your new identity is, to, is you will be called married. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. See, what voices do you listen to? What names do you hear? What names do you call yourself? Do you see, do you appreciate the power in this? These two ideas, purpose and power, are always working together. God's joy in his people, the power, brings to light the idea, the purpose, that the display of his handiwork, his salvation of his people is to be on display before the nations, before the world. That's the idea behind verses 6 and 7 where he says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes Jerusalem, makes us the fulfillment of Jerusalem, his praise in the earth. Do we see that? There is no rest until Jerusalem is established and made the praise of the earth. And of course, what gave the servant, Jesus Christ, rest? ultimately, was the cross. The cross established God's people as the praise of the earth. 
See, look at verses 11 and 12. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. That's what we're celebrating this week. Behold, your salvation comes. The word became flesh. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Do you recognize we are his reward? Do you understand that? That we are Jesus' reward. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Again, what is Isaiah doing? He is saying, be the righteous people who are the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, the sought after, the city no longer deserted, who draw all nations to himself. He's calling God's people to take action, to receive, to live out of these realities, to live out of the power of this. This is the most fundamental reality about you. More than being a mother or father, grandmother or grandfather, husband or wife, worker or whatever you do, the most fundamental reality about you before and above all of these things is you are a crown of beauty, a royal diadem, a holy people, a people sought out, a people that's a city not forsaken, the redeemed of the Lord. Do you want to know the heart of what it means to follow Jesus and the heart of Christian living? Be by faith who and what you already are in Jesus Christ. It's important enough, I'm going to repeat it. I'll keep you here a minute longer. Be by faith who you already are in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that's the battle going on in your heart that manifests itself when we get angry, when we're selfish, when our tongue runs amok a little bit. That ever happened to anybody else? Nah. I'm the only sinner amongst us. The battle is a battle of the heart that we are trying to learn to be by faith who we already are in Christ. Isaiah is pointing us to this reality. This is your new reality. See, we need to be reminded of this, and as one commentator put it, puts it, this is because of him and not because of us. It takes the pressure off. If it were up to us, there would be pressure to keep it up. But because God is the kind of person he is, he is able to see things in us that lie buried beneath layers of sin and shame. He is able to see possibilities where nothing but failure would be perceived by anyone else. But even more than that, he is able to uncover those hidden, hidden things, to let loose those possibilities, because he has taken all the failure, all the sin, all the shame into himself on the cross. So he's able not, to show, not only to show us what is there, but to set it free, to unleash it. That's the power of glory. Friends, that's a scary thing. If we were to begin to unleash it, that could be dangerous. See, commentators rightly remind us that we live in an age of strange paradoxes. And one of those paradoxes is that 
We have never, ever had such an emphasis on self-esteem and self-worth coupled with such a high suicide rate. And what could possibly be causing this? Again, these same commentators, again, rightly remind us that the emphasis on self-esteem is not directly causing suicides. But they also say that increasing our artificial attempts to build self-esteem does not address the problem. What is it that brings a healthy sense of value and self-worth? The power of glory. Learning to receive and live out of this reality. Learning to embrace the power of glory in our lives. And see, here's another thing. This is difficult, but it's almost impossible to do by yourself. This is where fellowship and the Christian community comes in. The Swiss psychologist Paul Tournier wrote a very powerful book years ago called The Meaning of Persons. In it, he writes, if we tried to cast off all our social apparel, we should tend to become individuals and not persons. The notion of the person is bound up with the human community, a spiritual solidarity, a common patrimony, and therefore to a certain conventional form of expression which partakes of the nature of the personage. Another way of putting it is how Tim Keller speaks of this cultural phenomenon in his book on marriage, where he says the teachings of Scripture challenge our contemporary Western culture's narrative of individual freedom as the only way to be happy. Let me paraphrase. Doing what you want when you want it will make you miserable. All the emphasis on rights and autonomy is not freedom. It will put you in bondage. The only thing that will set you free, the only thing that will make you more human is living out of the power of glory, living in community, built for love and relationships, built for the God who's a trinity, meaning three in one, and giving our lives away for the sake of others. Kind of interesting that the only way to be happy is give yourself away. Maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. He who wants to save his life, let's read that in a modern way. He who basically lives for doing what he wants when he wants to will lose his life meaning is true humanity, what we were built for. But he who gives away his life for me and for the gospel's sake will find it, will truly live. Friends, this is the power of glory that we need to remind ourselves, not just individually, but in community. We need each other to remind ourselves of this. I need to be reminded of this. I need your help. You have a weak, fallen, flawed, selfish pastor who needs to live in community to release the power of glory so that God's glory may be seen to the lake country, not just our great programs. Out of the power of glory, we can live this purpose of glory of bearing witness to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, the gospel 
never ceases to amaze me. No wonder Paul said it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. There's a part of me that says, when am I going to get a clue and say, I have no idea fully what this gospel means. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. Help me to be immersed in the gospel. Draw out its implications. Holy Spirit, I pray for you to run wild in our midst. Have your way amongst us. That could be a dangerous prayer because it will be messy, but I pray for you to do your work amongst us because you will not keep silent. You will not rest until our righteousness shines forth, until the nations see our righteousness that you've placed within us. Father, thank you for this word. May we have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, close out our service singing Angel. that in just a couple minutes we will begin our very, very brief congregational meeting. Friends, now hear and receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.